So we're going to be in, in Galatians chapter 5. It's in, if you've got a black Bible there, it's on page 975 is where we're going to start. Uh, verse 13. Verse 13. And we're going to read uh, toward the end, to the end of the chapter there. And so uh, here we go. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that, you do not cons- uh, that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are quite evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the strength that it brings to us. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you have chosen to speak to us that you're the speaking God. You're the one who actually uh, communicates to us. You are the one who initiates this conversation. Lord, it's not us who initiate with you. You are initiating with us. You keep pointing us back to yourself. You keep pointing us back to Jesus. And we're grateful for that. And I pray that this morning, Lord, would you just speak to our hearts. I thank you for what Rick said. It's absolutely true. You are speaking to each one of us. And Lord, you're addressing us individually today and corporately as a body. God, I'm thankful for that, God, that you're the supreme God who's able to really take the things that, that we need and you bring them to us and you help us, God. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, back when I was in junior high school, um, my uh, first experience was, was really with sports was back then. This is not going to be a sports preach, okay? I just one example, and then I'm on. Okay, but my first coach, his name was Coach Galbraith. He was a great guy. He was a young, uh, energetic fella, and he was my football coach. And, man, I was impressed by this guy. He had muscles just booming out everywhere, and he was fast, and he was sleek, and he was cool. I mean, he just had a way about him, you know, and I just I enjoyed hanging out with him. So much so as an impressionable kid, it's like I started kind of imitating the things that he did. So, like, one of the things, he had actually ruptured his Achilles tendon, uh, uh, actually not playing football, but doing a workout, and he had ruptured. And so he was still pretty fast even with that, but he would walk occasionally, and when he did, he would do, you know, like this kind of thing, 
you know, making us try to feel, he's like trying to get pity from us, you know, guys, I, I hurt myself, you know, and he just kind of drag his foot. Well, so I learned how to do that. You know, I'm watching him, and I'm, so I'd be walking around the house at home, you know, and I'd be doing this, and mom would go, what are you doing? It's like, Coach Galbraith does this. It's so cool, you know. And uh, I was just totally imitating him. And, uh, but by the end of that school year, it was kind of cool. I mean, well, two years later, eighth grade, end of eighth grade, um, it, well, there's this award ceremony, and he, he makes a statement. He, he's getting ready to hand out this award, and he said, no, the young man who gets this award this year, he said, the, he, this is a kid that if I had a son, I would want him to be like this kid. And then he said my name. And I was like, whoa, wow, that's cool. He, he noticed me. He paid attention. He, he saw me. Well, maybe he was impressed that I was imitating him because, you know, imitation <laughs> is a form of flattery, right? Well, what I noticed about myself throughout the years is I did that not just with Coach Galbraith, but Coach Denny and some other guys and Frank Pardue, my youth pastor. And then later on when I was in college, my, my, my pastor there, Jim Carter, uh, there were things about him that I was imitating. And, and actually, if you, you hang around me very long, you'll start noticing that I'll like people, I'll pick up speech patterns. So if you have an annoying speech pattern that you're aware of, you probably better not do it in front of me because pretty soon I'll be doing it and you'll be going, what the heck? You know? So like Brian says, ether, you know, he says, one another, we love one another. You know, it's got this weird thing. And so I, I pick up that, you know, and I'm listening to it and, and I'm just kind of taken by that. Well, one of the reasons that I understand that I do that or have done that in the past is it was actually it was based in some insecurities. It was not I didn't have a real strong sense of who I was. I didn't have a real sense of identity about the uniqueness that God has made me. And, you know, and that actually, you know, I, no one imitates me. My kids make fun of me, but they don't imitate me. OK, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. But we all tend to do this to a certain degree. We all tend to look at people, we see things in their lives, and we think, you know, I would like to imitate that. And there's, there's times when that's really good. There's other times when that's not so good. Because basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to imitate them because we, we want to draw attention from them. We want them to notice us. We want to have the situation where, hey, we want this person to like us. And, and it's really, it can be based in a sense of insecurity. It can be based in a sense that I don't really know who I am. And so I'm trying to be like everybody else. Last weekend, we were uh, at this youth event, uh, Momentum. And some of the kids, they were trying to get this uh, word started. I thought it was kind of funny because, uh, you know, it's like cool and hot and all those words that we've used. In the past. They were using the word dank. And they're saying, man, that's so dank. And I'm going, dank? What? Dank is like a smelly, musty basement. I mean, that's not, how is that helpful? I mean, I just didn't get that one at all. But there was something behind that. They're wanting, you know, kids want to do that. So we, you know, we get Facebook accounts, we get Twitter accounts. And basically, you know, people start taking selfies. And if you notice, all selfies look exactly alike. And if they don't, then it likes really, it's weird, you know. I mean, there's just something about us. We feel like we've got to be like other people. If we don't, we're, we're insignificant, we're insecure, we're valueless. We don't have value in and of ourselves. We tend to want to do things to fit in. We do. And so it's like, you know, just we, we do that. We just get into these situations, and, and we, want, we want to fit, fit in. But, and when people don't, like, try to fit in with us, we tend to, you know, ignore them. We tend to scorn, maybe scoff, ridicule them because they don't fit in. We just can even ostracize people because they... They're awkward. They're odd. They don't get what we get. We get it. They don't kind of a situation. You ever been there? I I feel like I'm giving a junior high talk to you guys in some ways, but, I mean, honestly, as adults, I've noticed the same 
kind of tendencies. In this church that we just read about in Galatia, this church actually had some similar issues going on. They, they didn't really kind of know who they were. They didn't know, uh, they had forgotten how much God really loved them. And they forgot the grace of God. They forgot how they got to where they were, how they became followers of Jesus. And there were people who came in among them who were willing to tell them, look, you know, once you've been saved by grace, well, then you have to actually start obeying the law and, and it's like what they were saying to them is, look, don't you realize this? Don't you know this kind of stuff? Didn't someone tell you? And, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, so, wow, this is good information. I think I need to know this. And this church begins to vacillate. They begin to swing back and forth, trying to find out their significance, significance by either keeping all the rules or trying to find their significance by breaking all the rules. So we get influenced by people. We'll get around people. They're keeping all the rules. Oh, I better straighten up. Breaking all the rules. Oh, man, I better relax. I mean, it's just like we just, we can't seem to figure that out. Those who find themselves, excuse me, find their significance by keeping all the rules and those who try to find their significance by breaking all the rules, actually, though, they both end up living lives that are bound up in the flesh. Have you ever been around... Religious people, people we might consider legalistic, they're, you know, they're trying to abide by all the rules. We usually think of this like, hey, they're really religious people, they're good people, you know, they're really cool, but actually, what the, the reality of it is, they're actually in, indulging in the flesh. Well, how so? Well, they're trying to control their circumstances by, hey, if I do this, 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 and this for God, then He has to do this, 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 and this for me. And they're controlling and it's actually a very fleshy thing to do. The other guys who say, you know, grace is just, you know, it's just forgiveness so that I can sin all I want to, you know. Well, they're also indulging in the flesh. We read about some of those indulgences as well. And they, they kind of approach life like, you know, hey, it's just I can do whatever I want to do now. I've been set free so that I can do whatever I want to do. But they're actually enslaving themselves to the flesh. Both groups use their freedom to serve fleshly needs. And the need is, is essentially this in, in a lot of ways because they're trying to influence others. It's a need to be needed. It's a need to be needed. It's a need to find significance from other people, to draw significance from others, from my relationships, from my work. If I can influence people this way, then what I'm basically doing, I am getting a fix. I'm getting a need met that actually God is supposed to meet. You may look at a legalist and think, hey, this is a guy, he's just all about rules, he's all about keeping the law, and he's probably a real hard-nosed person. He's not easy to get along with. Have you ever noticed people like that before? I've known a few. been one, actually, quite honestly. I've been one. I, could do con- I might do a sermon one day called Confessions of a Legalist, okay? <laughs> Confessions of a Pharisee. I mean, I've been there. I understand that. You can be really hard-nosed, and you think, well, these guys, they don't understand life. They're, everything's perfect in their life and all that. Actually, the legalists who were trying to convince the Galatian church they needed to, like, get circumcised, keep all the Jewish laws, all the feast days, and all that kind of stuff. The the reality is they were, I would say, compassionate legalists. And and here's what I mean by that. They, They felt like, hey, we've got it all together, and because we have it all together, we want to help you get it all together. Now, there's really a heart there of, of compassion. It's like, I see you kind of going off into something that I'm afraid for you, that you're going off into some kind of error. 
And so now if you'll just do this and this and this and this and this, then you'll be really free. Oh, thank you very much. I'll take this. You know what I mean? That's freedom to them. They're compassionate in one sense, but actually they're using that as a method to cause you to be dependent upon them. Here's where I get that from. It's not just me that says this. Actually, Paul says this. If you'll flip a page back to Ephesians 4.17, these people felt their intervention was necessary to save the church members from great error. And Paul says that these guys really felt the need to be needed. Ephesians 4.17 says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. You ever had that happen to you? People are making much of you. They're building you up. They're saying nice things about you. But they're doing it to no good purpose. They're, they're not doing it to build you up, really. They're doing it to set you up. And that's what's happening here. What they want is to shut you out. That you might make much of them. Ouch. I think I've done that before. That I've set people up telling them you know, good advice and doing these things, not so I could build them up, but actually so that it would make me look good. Oh, this is my project. Look how this person is developing. I need them to succeed. Well, why do you need this to succeed? Because it's a reflection on me. I need them to do well. You ever had that happen before? Maybe it's with your own kids. It's like your kids, they get to high school age, they start misbehaving, and it's like, it's like it just rips your heart out. Not because it's painful. I mean, it can be painful, but it's not just that. It's like suddenly life is just not worth living. It's just not worth living. You think, oh, why did I waste all my time teaching these kids these things and trying to do the right thing? Okay, so you had this deep, deep-seated need to be needed, and now they're letting you down, and you don't know who you are. You were using your children to get your sense of significance. Their compassion was actually driven by a need to have an identity, a need to have a sense of my life has meaning, my life has purpose. Well, there's the other extreme of using the flesh, and it's these Christians who found liberty and they reacted actually to legalism. They simply reacted to it. And the way they did it, they showed they were free uh, by going uh, to what the Bible calls just fleshly indulgence. I mean, they're just going off deep in. It's like, hey, we're free, we're free. You know? And so they just start sinning like crazy. I'll show you how free I am by how, by how hard I can party. That's kind of the mentality of it. I don't know if you've known people like this or not. I've actually kind of drifted that way myself. See, I'm, I'm not preaching to you. I think I'm preaching to me a little bit. I see the tendencies I have to swing over here and say, oh, I'll prove how free I am. I'll prove how graceful, you know, I, I, man, I'll do it all. And it's blatant sin like this. It actually regards grace as just, well, what I'll say is mere forgiveness. Like, it doesn't really matter what I do. God's, he's kind of honor bound. He has to forgive me. And it doesn't understand grace. It doesn't understand a relationship with God. It's, no, I'm going to find my need of significance by just doing whatever I please. And God kind of has to forgive me because that's what grace is all about. It can also, like the legalists, kind of have a, an insider mentality. Like, you know, do you hang with those who party? Yeah, all right, I'm in that crowd. Or do you hang with those who keep all the rules? Yeah, I'm in that crowd. And it begins to have kind of a party attitude. I'm of this group. I'm of that group. And it can be really divisive within the church. 
I think any congregation can kind of face these dilemmas because it's like we have a tendency, some of us are tending toward more legalistic tendencies, some of us tend more toward party, and, you know, and somewhere in between. It's like, well, okay, so Paul's solution is going to be he'll do this. He'll say, okay, don't, don't be too you know, rule-bound, and well, don't be too, you know, don't party too hard. And he'll just kind of try to you know, find a compromise position in the middle. But that's not at all what Paul does. That's not the solution he gives. That's not the way he tries to deal with this identity issue, this deep need that's seated in our hearts to be needed, to be significant, to have purpose and meaning. He doesn't approach the situation by saying, well, come on, just moderate a little bit. Just come in from this angle. Come in from the, you know, if it's a big extreme kind of, you know, uh, timeline or whatever. It's like, well, just come in on the sides a little bit. Meet somewhere in the middle. He doesn't do that. He doesn't. He, he comes up with a solution that is absolutely different. Paul is compassionate to this fractured community, and he reveals sin in both directions of life here because they're both based in fleshly longings. They're not based in a relationship with the Spirit of God. So the solution for the guy who's way out here on the fringes saying, I'll party all night, I'll hang, you know, I'll do that, is not more law. Hey, give this guy a bunch of rules. To, that's not going to help him. And for those who are legalists, it's not, man, just relax, take it easy, have a beer. I mean, you know, I'm cool with that. I love to drink a beer occasionally, but it's not like that's not where I find my identity in that. And it's not the way I'd say, hey, pull away from this position. What I would say to them is, I think like what Paul is saying here, well, hey, you need to walk with the Spirit. You actually need to be led by God's Spirit. Look at verse 18. It says, if, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're, you're not in this position of trying to have your needs you know, satisfy this deep longing and need for significance and purpose and meaning. You're not trying to fulfill that through, you know, I'll keep all the rules and find my identity there, or I'll break all the rules find my identity there. He says, no, 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 you, you are led by the Spirit. Now, there may be that some of you would kind of react to this a couple of ways. One is you'd say, what? <laughs> that didn't make sense. It's like, give me, a, give me a rule. I can handle that. Or what? Just tell me I can go to do whatever I want to and ask forgiveness later. I'll handle that. Well, we want, we want rules. Paul doesn't say rules. He says, no, 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 just walk in the Spirit. And so I could sit there and go, okay, you hear that and go, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Great. That's fine. I'll try to help you with that. I'm more concerned about people who would go, yeah, 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 I know that. I've heard that before. Back in 94, man, I got well, wiped out by the Spirit of God. I understand what it means to walk by the Spirit. I'm, I'm a little concerned for people in that situation because it's kind of like been there, done that, got the T-shirt. You know, it's just this mentality that kind of like dismisses the, the weight of what I think God is saying. Where are you actually finding your identity today? I'm glad you had an experience in 98 or 96 or whenever you had this wonderful experience with God's presence, but... Are you walking with Him today? See, that, that is really the issue. And hopefully, you're leaning forward. You're wanting to hear a bit more. You're, you're wanting to say, okay, so this is intriguing. You're, not saying, you're saying, don't go here, and you're saying, don't go here, but actually there's something completely else that you need to go for. And I think what God is saying here is that the way to freedom from slavery to this sense of significance that I'm trying to derive by going one way or the other is actually you can be freed by this bondage of needing to be needed by coming and having a relationship with God, with His Spirit. 
Now, you may be thinking, well, I don't really struggle with this need to be needed. This thing about significance, Steve, you're talking about, I, I don't... Well, let me just diagnose that just a little. Let's just spend a little time here. I'll ask a few questions and you think about it. Who do you try to avoid contact with because they don't seem to need or want you? Like, you know, you've tried to have a relationship with them, but they, they really don't seem to need your services because, you know, you keep trying to give them advice... You throw those pitches, and they don't, they're not even swinging at them. You know, it's that kind of a thing. Who, who are you angry with? Because they don't really seem to want or need a relationship with you. They don't need your help. Who do you feel more secure around? Um, people who, uh, excuse me, who do you feel more secure when you're around? People that you perceive are inferior to you, and that probably you can make a difference in their lives, or do you feel secure around strong people who actually don't need much from you? Do you feel loved when someone communicates that they're doing fine without your help? Can you still feel loved and significant even though an organization or people might say to you, hey, we don't really need that right now? See, I was praying yesterday, and what I kind of was working through with God was, He, he loves me. And he, he needs absolutely nothing from me. Did you ever think about that? God loves you, but you can't like offer him anything that he actually needs. See, we have a hard time dealing with love like that. We, we actually we live in loving relationships that go like this. I have needs, you'll meet them. You have needs, I'll meet them. And we have this kind of relationship with our wives, with our kids, with our people at work. And, and so when God says basically this, okay, in Psalms, He says, If I were hungry, do you think I would tell you, I own the cattle on a thousand hills? Okay, if I want a steak, I'll make it myself, thank you very much. You, you know, it's my cow anyway. What are you going to, you know, it's like, what's the deal? In, in, in Acts 17, it just says, you know, who are we that we, we think that we can build a tabernacle for God. We can do something for Him that He actually needs for us. He doesn't need us. That may trouble you a little bit, but but that is the reality. He doesn't need us, but He does want us. There is a big difference. We have relationships mostly where I need you, you need me, we're a happy family, you know, and we're good to go. We live that way in conditionality. God says, I don't need you. There's nothing that you can offer me that I need. I don't need your love. I don't need your affection. I don't need your attention. I don't need your food. I don't need your water. I don't need your money. But I love you. And I want you close to me. That's mind-boggling to us. It's mind-boggling to me. I was sitting there going, okay, God, so you don't need anything from me. So how do I express love to you? He's just like, well, right here. Walk in the Spirit. Our preoccupation with... Being needed, gaining the respect that we long for, the love that we can't get on our own, the pleasure that seems to just elude us. I mean, it leads us to this whole list of sins that, that Paul wrote down here. I mean, he, you know, I, I took, did you notice when I read that? I mean, I took time like between each one. I wanted you to hear every single thing on that list. And there's a reason why I did that. Uh, because in, in my household, we have this phrase, Dad has these bread blah blah moments. I'm Dad, okay? He has these bread blah blah moments. It's like Annette will give me a list for the grocery store verbally. She'll say, hey, Steve, go get me uh, bread blah 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 blah. You know, I mean, that's the way my... 
And so I'll go to the grocery store, I'll pick up the bread, and I'll come home, and I go, hey, I got the bread. She goes, well, where are the eggs and the milk? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't hear that. Sorry. Missed that list. I think when we read this list that Paul writes that are activities that really show the flesh, I think what he points out to is the first few that we read, they're all sexually orientated. And so we kind of think, all right, well, I, I don't really have a problem with that. So I just kind of move on, just kind of hear bread, 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 blah, 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 blah. And we just kind of skip right over the rest of it because, well, the first part didn't, you know, didn't make any difference to me. So why should the rest of it make any difference to me? But just listen again to some of these things that I think relate to this thing about needing to be needed, enmity. In other words, I've got enemies. I've got people that I'm actually in enemy situations with, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalry, which, by the way, today is bracket day for those of you who didn't know that. So there'll be lots of rivalry going on in the church recently. Okay, No, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These are all relationship terms. These are all terms that, hey, they don't maybe look like huge sinful things, like someone just committed adultery. Okay, we see that, we get that. But this is talking about, no, the way we relate to one another on a daily basis. The reason why we become dismissive of others is that we're envious of the attention that they're getting that we think we deserve. Someone's getting a promotion at work, and I'm envious. That's fleshy. That's not spirit-y. Okay? It's going to get you down a road of following your fleshly desires, longings, that actually the need to be needed is not a bad thing. It's just that we make it a bad thing because we make it an ultimate thing. And we put small things, people, things, how, in place of the ultimate God. You have explosive fits of anger because your life feels out of control. Things didn't line up the way you expected them to. People didn't behave the ways that you need them to do to show that you're valuable and respectable and all that. Your life's full of strife because the people that you think should need you the most don't. They're actually functioning independent of you, and it's okay, but for you, it's like ripping your teeth out. You just can't handle the pain of it anymore. And it is painful. I can feel it at times. I can feel it when I see my kids taking off without me. They're doing things that they should be doing, but I want them to depend on me. I can feel it when I get overlooked on something that I think, man, I should be doing this, and it's like I don't get selected. I don't get to be part of that. I can feel it when, uh, when there's an idea that I put on the table and it like gets totally overlooked by everybody in the room and then somebody else takes the idea, runs with it, and they get all the credit. And it's like, ah, that was my idea. I'm envious. I'm jealous. Now I don't want to spend time with that person. I, I can't handle being around them anymore. Maybe worse than that, pushing people away because they got stuff that I deserve, is that when I get stuff that they don't deserve, and I start feeling bad about that, I get the promotion. And the people that I used to hang out with, I don't hang out with anymore because, well, now I'm off doing something more important. See, there's strife, there's jealousy that I'm afraid of or fearful of, and I, I don't actually know how to deal with that. 
I fear that people might be envious that they just don't that I just don't need them in that way anymore. See, that bugs me. And it bugs you probably as well. But God's solution, guys, is that we be led by the Spirit. And what that means is is not maybe what you think it is. It's it's not like God's on a uh, you know, a follow the leader game. You remember when you were kids, follow the leader. You know, the leader is always trying to do things to throw off the people behind him. I think sometimes we think God's like that. He's just like, you know, he's follow the leader and he just does things. And we go, whoa, hey, what do I do now? I don't know how to do it. It's like, no, it's, it's, not, it's not what it means. It's not like a game of follow the leader. God's not trying to throw you off track. He actually, it's a different thing. This, this thing led, this word is ago, A-G-O, ago. And basically it, what it means is this, is to, be, to spend the day with. That's, that's what it means. It has connotations of yeah, leadership and guidance, but, but when it comes down to it, what it means is, hey, you spend time with. You thought about that. God is saying to us, He's inviting us, say, I want you to spend time with me. I want you to hang out with me. I want you to be with me in the day in and day out of life to, in that sense, follow me. I mean, like me with Coach Galbraith, I wanted to be around him a lot. I wanted to spend time in his presence. Why? Because, I mean, he didn't necessarily, I'm a snot-nosed kid. He didn't want me around necessarily. But God's not looking at me like a snot-nosed kid. He's saying, no, I want you with me. I want you with me. And the cool thing about that is, because of being with him, my life is influenced by him. My life is shaped by him. Because the important people around us actually influence and shape our lives, don't they? The people that we spend time with and want to spend time with actually influence us. They actually shape our attitudes, shape our speech patterns, shape the things that we give ourselves to in our mindset. And God invites us and says, I want you to do this with me. I want you to be with me. That's an amazing invitation. An amazing invitation. Your desire for significance and meaningful life, it cannot be derived by what you do. It cannot be extracted from the people that you're with, from your friends and family. But God offers Himself in this gracious and genuinely vulnerable act of dying on the cross. He offers Himself to us that we might actually know Him. See, this is the gospel. The gospel is not come and and be saved and go on and about your business. It's come... I'm saving you so that you might be with me, so that you would know me, so that we would be together, so that you would be listening to me and being influenced by me and shaped by me. See, the cross is the place where our, our enmity, our estrangement from God ends. That's where that estrangement, that broken relationship with God actually ends at the cross. It's the place that we find, the cross is the place where we find ultimate meaning and significance because now we're actually being accepted by the one who is ultimate meaning and purpose. See, when I, when I try to get meaning and purpose from my wife, it crushes her. She's not God. She's not capable of giving to me identity and purpose and meaning. But God, on the other hand, because He is the ultimate purpose and meaning and identity, man, He can give that to me when we're together we're in relationship with one another. Paul says to be led by the Spirit, he's reconnecting us with the source of life that produces what all of our striving, all of our wrangling, all of our fleshly pursuits cannot gain for us. That's the gospel. 
Verse 24 says here that we belong to Christ. If you are with Christ, if you belong to Him, okay, then you have ultimate meaning. You have a, a relationship with God that gives you ultimate purpose. You don't have to go out and find your purpose. You have your purpose in Him. He's the one who communicates this identity to you. The fruit of being with Him doesn't require laws to regulate it. Not the behaviors and not the attitudes. It doesn't require rules to do that. I mean, if you read back through those things, there are things love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? Jesus comes to us as the law maker. He's the one who made the law, but He came to, uh, to this earth and became the law keeper so that we, the, the law breakers, could be with Him. I love that about Jesus. That's why I don't want to be a legalist. Is because Jesus was the lawmaker. But He came to earth. He became the law keeper. He kept every aspect of the law, attitudes, actions, all of it, completely, so that you and I could be with Him. We're the lawbreakers. And we can now be with Jesus. So when we're walking with Jesus by the Spirit, I have all the love that I need for this life. I don't have to get it from my kids. I don't have to get it from my wife. I don't have to get it from you. I get it from Jesus. He is ultimate love, and He gives me all of Himself. And so the fruit of the Spirit is love. When I'm walking with Him, then I have joy. I don't have to try to get joy from doing a good job or get joy from you and our relationship. I have joy because I'm with Jesus, the source of ultimate joy. When I'm with Jesus, I have peace that's beyond comprehension. I don't need to try to, you know, get even a good night's sleep or a good, you know, meal in my belly to have peace. I actually, I have peace in all circumstances of life. Why? Because I have Jesus, who's my peace. He says, walk with me. Be led by the Spirit. And you're not under the regulations of the law. You're not under this thing of trying to find your needs met in other people and other things. You find your needs met completely in Him. You have the capacity for self-control. This kind of deals with some of sinful behaviors and attitudes. It's like, oh, I just need more self-control. If I had more self-control, I wouldn't eat so much. I wouldn't drink so much. I wouldn't look at so much porn. I wouldn't do these things. And what Jesus says, no, with me, if you're hanging with me, you've got self-control. Because I'm not living in a sense of lack, which is often why I go to those things, because I feel like I'm lacking something. But no, in Him, I'm full. I know I have everything I need in Him. This is the kind of life that I think Washington, Franklin County needs to see in a church. I think it's the kind of thing that, that when people come close to us, when people are today like you guests, when you're here, I'm so grateful you're here. And, and when you hear this message, what, the kind of people that Jubilee Church needs to be and wants to be in this community is not striving, trying to figure out who we are, but it's actually because we're walking in the Spirit. We have confidence in life. We know who we are. We're now sons and daughters of God. We belong to Jesus we're His. We can genuinely spend time with God's presence and, and have 
All of our needs are being met in Him. Not, not just like surfacy needs. I mean, our deep longings and needs are being met in Him. When that happens, I think it affects our neighbors across the street and next door and behind us. I think it affects the people that we work with on a day-in and day-out basis. Because they see people who aren't trying to get a knife in their side to get a promotion. They see people who are content with what they have. And they may be promoted, but they're still spending time with people around them. They're not getting a big head about it. I think it, it reflects in the way that you guys at school, the way you are students there, and you're doing your work because it's like, I, I can do this now. I'm not trying to get my significance from my work, but because I know God loves me and He's for me, I, I can work hard. I can do this with diligence, not trying to get stuff from people, but because I know, hey, God gives me self-control. He gives me the ability to do what I need to do right now. And it becomes that we are light bearers. We are pointing people, not toward us, to say, hey, look at me, look what I did. But no, look at what Jesus did. Who have you been spending time with? Jesus. Oh, wow, really? Your life's different. Walk with the Spirit. Follow Him. You won't fulfill the desires of the Spirit. It says it in three or four different ways within that passage. He, Paul writes it. He's trying to communicate it again and again and again. Keep in step with the Spirit. And it's hard for me to keep in step with somebody, you know, if I'm not walking with them, if I'm not kind of in tune. I mean, we'll be walking along and it's left foot, right foot, right foot, left foot. But if I'm in tune, if Annette and I are in a conversation, we're walking together, typically, typically what's happening is my right foot's going, her right foot's going. Left foot's going, left foot's going. We're in step with one another. We're in a rhythm of life. And we have great times of conversation and fellowship. That's what God offers to us. I love walking with Annette. I love driving with her because I know, hey, we get time to conver- you know, have conversations and we have time to, to get to know each other better. And God says, no, that's what I want with you. Come walk with me. Come spend time with me. Let your life be shaped by my influence on you. Hey, if you would, uh, take out your communication card. We're going to kind of walk through a few things here. As God wants us to be led by His Spirit today. It could be that you're here and like this is like new information to you. The, the gospel, that, that Jesus, the, the lawmaker, be, became a man to be the law keeper so that you and me, the lawbreakers, could have a relationship with Him. I mean, that, that may be totally new news to you. If that is, oh, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you've heard it today. And it could be that you're looking at this, on the communication card, it says, submit your life to Jesus. I mean, this is the kind of thing where you walk in and you go, okay, my life was a mess. I, I was trying to get all my needs met from other people. I was like a vampire sucking life out of people in my relationships. But now I see that actually God wants me to come and, well, trust Him. And so when it uses that phrase, submit to Jesus, that's what it means. It means trust Him. It means to be willing to say, yeah, I know that you are the one who satisfies all my needs. You're the deepest satisfier of all. So if you want to submit your life to Him today, man, that would be awesome. We will, in just a few minutes, we'll pray for people. We'd love to pray for you and just help you to really come to grips with that. But others of us, maybe you come in today and you're a Christian, and it's like, well, I already, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm trying to walk with Him, trying to walk this out. Well, there's a couple of things that I think we need to respond to. And they're really, they're day-to-day kinds of things. They're not like once a week or once a month or once a quarter. It's like day by day. And it's even more than day by day. It's like moment by moment. Your life in God is really very moment by moment. Do you realize that? It's not just, you know, in the morning when you do your devotional time or Sunday when you come to church or Tuesday night when you go to your community group. 
No, your life is like moment by moment with God. That's what he's asking for. He's saying, come on, be moment to moment with me. Walk with me. Keep in step with me. So your need for significance won't change in your life. Your need. I mean, it's a need. We have a need to have purpose and meaning in life. It doesn't change. Where you go to find that meaning and significance, that changes. It gets drawn away from the stuff of this earth to Jesus. To recognize He is the significant one. So to follow Him, to pay attention to Him moment by moment, day by day, rather than pursuing our own desires, listen to Jesus, yield to Him daily. Maybe that's you today. It's like, I've not been doing that. Well, good time to start right now. I've personally recently come into this time where I think there was a time period where I was really not listening much to the Spirit. I wasn't walking so much with the Spirit. I kind of lost the sense of journeying together through life in the moment by moment, in the day by day. And maybe you're here today and that's the same for you. Well, I think this is a great opportunity to direct your attention to the Spirit again. To do what Paul says, walk with the Spirit. Keep in step with Him. Come on, He's here. He's inviting us to come on and be with Him on the journey of life. I hope that's you today. I hope that's what you want to do.